everybody. Welcome to the Stony Brook Press Student Magazine's very first episode about our podcast about all things gender and sexuality. My name is Sammy Aguirre. My pronouns are she, her. I am one of the culture editors and one of the opinions editors at the magazine, and I am one of your co-hosts today. Hi, I'm Antonio. I am your other co-host on this wonderful podcast, and I am one of the features editors, um, and my pronouns are any. And yeah, we're very excited to be joined by our first guest stars. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Kamal Graywall. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a graphic and multimedia editor at The Press. I'm Dimitri. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm a staff writer at The Press. Hello, my name is Jenna. My pronouns are she, they, and I'm a staff writer at The Press. Wonderful. So yeah, for our first episode, our topic we decided on will be labels and identity. And we've picked an article that we've kind of just like wanted to base our thoughts around and just talk about a little bit to find like a, a common basis. Mm -hmm. Um, would you like to introduce the article to us, Sammy? Okay, so the article is from the Journal of Homosexuality, and it is called Academic LGBTQ Plus Terminology, 1900 to 2021, Increasing Variety, Increasing Inclusivity. Um, it was published in April of 2022, and the authors are Mike Thelwall, Tracy Jane Devonport, Mako Makita, Kate Russell, and Lois Ferguson. So yeah, we're gonna just kind of base some of our initial thoughts around uh, things that we learned in this article. And yeah, so does anybody wanna get us started? Yeah, maybe we can just get everyone's initial thoughts on this article. Um, also maybe just kind of clarify for our listeners what this article like was about like the gist of the article. Would anyone like to start? I did think it was interesting that some of the, like they make a distinction between strictly medical language and other kinds of academic disciplines that like need to use these words to accurately describe the people that they're talking about. So I, th I thought that was really cool because the needs of all of those different disciplines are totally different. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I agree. I think I also liked how they included the different categories um, of the labels, like for example, like medical terms, terms used by the community, terms used historically, um, because I didn't realize that there are so many different groups and different labels. Um, so that was very fascinating and I appreciated that they made those distinctions. Um, I kind of found it interesting how in the like report, they also mentioned that academic journals and authors are also like moving along the same kind of like path community has been going in um, approaching labeling and um, terminology related to the community instead of like traditionally staying with terminology used in the past and like it's becoming more inclusive in like the academic setting too. I think like generally when we think about identities and labels, it's kind of, they just seem very like obvious and just very like, you know, meets the eye, just like very like not complex at all. 
But I think there's so many more things or so much more nuance when it comes to talking about labels and identity and how they like interact with each other in so many different kinds of fields. And I think that's what the article was kind of like getting at is that there has been historically different words to describe, you know, literally the same people that we would describe today, but with different words and kind of how those like interact and, you know, what meaning they hold and why they've changed and what the importance of them changing is. And yeah, just kind of what that means today. And then maybe there's like pros and cons to both, you know, old language and new language and yeah, all that nuanced, nice stuff. Yeah. I think also on, um, the first page of the article, there's a quote that says LGBTQ labels affect who gains community support and protection. And I thought that was pretty important um, because a label can either really harm you in some cases because of just the way society is sometimes and the discrimination for different groups. But in other cases, it can provide privileges or it can provide a sense of community and support. So I think labels are very, like Antonio said, they're very nuanced um, in that way that it's kind of, because it's always changing, the groups kind of evolve and the language evolves and the labels and the way they're perceived also evolves. Yeah, I agree. I think for lack of a better term, I think we need to approach this in like a gentle way Mm -hmm just because there is a strong history of people using these terms in a negative way to discriminate and to oppress these people. And I think that needs to be taken into consideration, obviously, when we use certain labels. Um, And the article also talks about this, that like um, even the term like homosexual has negative connotations, but there have been like articles and like scholarly journals from like decades ago that use this term and if we don't continue to use it then it's hard to like link back to those and like create this like anthology of all this research on um, LGBTQ people. There are pros and cons to this Um, and it's like it's something that we have to think about when writing about these people um, especially like for like scholarly articles like what this particular article mentions um, but yeah. yeah, I feel like overall it seems like this like kind of debate between whether you want to be consistent and kind of have like a effective overview or like you said, an anthology of LGBTQ history or if you want to respect the current like times and kind of the values that reflect the present. Which now, the way I'm phrasing it right now, the, the answer seems obvious, which you would rather um, go to. But I think I w- there's virtue in both. And also something I wanted to touch on is that this whole idea of when something is, imp- like the article mentions that there's kind of been like a shift from kind of, especially old terminology being initially demeaning, but then being reclaimed and it being empowering. Um I think there's something to say about how a lot of these old words 
were used, not necessarily, well, yeah, maybe overall were very demeaning, but sometimes they literally, they just worked and they were accurate and people knew what you meant. Like with words like transsexual or homosexual, kind of it just was very like to the point and people understood it. And even now, I think there's, there's people who would still describe themselves as that. Like a lot of older LGBTQ people would say they're, yeah, I'm transsexual or yes, I identify as homosexual rather than gay or transgender. Um, but yeah, I was curious, what do you guys think about this whole, like, kind of, is it empowering? Is it demeaning? Um, and what about today's terminology? Is it, does it hold the same way? Is it effective at all? I think like Kamal was saying about the gentleness of language. Let me clear my throat because sound, I sound like a chain smoker. <laughs> <laughs> ah, much better. Okay, like Kamal was saying about the gentleness of this language, um, I think something more modern like transgender compared to very physical attributes that they're talking about like transsexual or transvestite is also one that was used previously uh, to describe people who kind of like cross-dress and stuff. It's like, that's all really superficial level stuff, but that really was the level of analysis that people were engaging with, like Antonio said. Like, they they being figures of authority who probably weren't trans themselves would just call it like they saw it and name it very blunt things that are kind of being deprecated now. So it's interesting to think about the perspective of like who is coming up with these words and what is their motive in using them and like what are they doing with it. Um, as you guys were kind of saying, like how, um, like in the past, they use certain terminology and how like it's changing in the present. I feel like that's kind of like also reflected in the digital age we have today with like a lot, like back then there might have not been trans with an asterisk because they didn't like have maybe like, um, certain technologies to be able to communicate with each other and build that community to really say, oh, I am identify as this or I identified as, like, unlabeled. So a lot of um, kind of, like, um, communication, but also education was limited in that time. And now with the increase of technology, we can sort of, like, access the education um we can sort of access the information that can educate us on the terminology in this community i agree with jenna in addition to the digital age also giving us access to more education and more discourse on all of this it also creates a new sense of community i think because there are just so many more places where people can find others like how they might identify whatever my label might be or your label might be. You can find people through social media, through the internet. There's just a different amount of resources now. Um, and I think that can be a positive uh, part of having some sort of label, even if you just label yourself as part of the LGBTQ plus community, um, there's a 
a sense of like, there's a sense of community within that label, but some people choose not to have a label within that. Some people might identify uh, in different ways. So, um, Yeah, I just wanted to add on to the social media part is that, I mean, the article, I think, stresses throughout that the, terminolo the terminologies that are mentioned in the article are mainly applied in like the global north. And I feel like with, you know, everything being so interconnected and networked now through social media and all these different communities, like maybe like finding each other or just interacting with each other, there's almost like a clash of like things that are like things that are established versus things that are like understood and kind of like how people have just kind of maybe said like, oh, this is how I think people should be labeled. Or I think like as an example, I, people are like, oh, I don't like the word transsexual. I don't want anyone to say that. Um, but then maybe like older trans people are like, oh, but I, I like that word to describe myself. So it's like, and then also there are, terms that are just not like part of um vocabulary in in places that are not part of the global north um yeah just kind of like queer language in different in different languages is just yeah just not applicable to like even just like certain like western or global northern like understandings of gender and sexuality so it's kind of like this whole kind of how expansive it is in a sense is that like it works in the sense that yeah it can be more inclusive but then also there is a reason why it's also so like definitions are meant to be rigid you can like you can't just be you can't just say or something because you've just completely changed the definition um yeah i don't know if that made sense but <laughs> Also, to add on to that, um, I think we need to acknowledge that there are indigenous groups and First Nations people who have had words for LGBTQ people for centuries. Um, and it's a very like Eurocentric way of looking at things to only call them homosexuals or like um, even like the discourse of this whole article, really, like they only mention the fact that indigenous people have had words for these in like one sentence in this 30 page article. Um, so I think that also needs to be taken into consideration. Um, and just like what you were saying about how, um, certain individuals have different, um, ways of referring to themselves and that is up to them to establish that not anybody else. That is also actually one of the things that, um, I had a problem with in this article because it says, um, on the fourth page, LGBTQ plus individuals may consider the context and purpose of an interaction when evaluating the acceptability of terminologies used to describe them. So academic and health-related terminology does not necessarily need to conform to their community norms. So I get what they're saying. However, I think it should absolutely be necessary to conform to their community norms just because it is not up to medical professionals or health-related professionals to decide that, oh, I'm going to call you a man who has sex with men because that's what is acceptable in the health community. Like, I think that is something that is somewhat problematic. 
and it should definitely be up to the individual to decide that this is what I want to be called and this is what I identify with and it is 100% okay for them to be offended if somebody does not call them that because just because they're a health professional. So I thought that was something that needed to be brought up. Um, I really agree with that. And I also wanted to add on with like, in like these academic reports, I understand how like it's hard because you're kind of like describing a whole demographic instead of one person. It's not like you can go up to them and, ask one person to represent a whole but using like the um you can use community norms um wait no you can use terminology and label that the community themselves give while also using maybe the labels in the health community as a way to also like talk with the health experts together but also not rip the demographic of their label and their identity so to like to really like give them kind of represent them in the best way possible I feel like having their identity tied along to maybe like some of the um accepted health labels is like really important that is something that they do mention in the article, how in some like healthcare workers or specifically, I think a lot of this is like within academia, what they're mentioning in this article specifically, but how they kind of do separate identity from the labels that they use to categorize people. Um, so that was something that I noticed in it too. I, they specifically say that in the article, um, that there is sometimes identity is not necessarily tied to the, the verbiage that they'll use to describe uh, or categorize people. So, Yeah, I mean, like everyone has said, I think one of the main points of the article was that there's a very clear distinction between kind of like terminology in the medical field versus in, you know, overall society, um, which is portrayed to be this like fluid like ever-changing norm like inconsistent overall like type um kind of like vocabulary on a vocabulary basis but i think even in medicine in in general i feel like there has to be you know it has to change with the rest of society um, because I mean, it, I feel like it is as much part of society as, you know, anything else. Um, everyone needs medical care and everyone deserves to be treated, you know, with respect when it comes to medical care. I think a lot of people are even deterred from medicine. Like a lot of trans people are, you know, don't see doctors because, you know, they don't want to be met with like disrespect and just overall, like just insulting you know, confusion almost when even a lot of these terms are just, it's not that hard to wrap your head around. Um, yeah. So I feel like obviously, you know, I guess the rest of society can't keep up with every single change within the LGBTQ community. But I think there is, there's definitely a need for updates, you know, every 
you know, a few years or so. Um, Software update just dropped for the yeah. LGBTQ <laughs> terminology. Please, please update. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you, Antonio. Um, and like it even says that the term like men who have sex with men, it er- was originally designed for AIDS related health interventions. Mm. And that's where its origins are. And I was actually looking it up and um, I found that um, gay men still cannot donate blood unless they're in a monogamous relationship, which is not a requirement for straight people. So, you know, like just the idea of like evolving with the times, like this is a very, very, very outdated social norm that still persists in the medical community. And, you know, obviously like with the AIDS epidemic in like the nineties, like gay men received a lot of hate unfounded. Um, And, you know, a whole, I've often like seen People say that like oh, we lost a whole generation of gay men to that um, disease, and it's just very sad that that like grief still persists within the community, and yet the medical community is not like acknowledging that oh yeah we contributed to that when they're still using these terms. Mm. <laughs> not to bring it to a dark place. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's yeah. I mean, that is extremely important because, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, it's just language. Like, you know, it's just a word. Um, But really, it has these extremely dangerous implications for just literally larger society. And it's not even like overall, it's not just, well, obviously gay men and the LGBTQ community were obviously at the forefront of, you know, this whole kind of social like bashing in the eighties and nineties. But in the end, everyone is affected by, you know, stereotypes and these like this need to kind of fit certain, these like rigid ideals. Um, the whole point of the expansiveness and the like ever evolving terminology for labels and identities is literally for people to explore who they are, what they like and find community in that. Um, So yeah, I think maybe, I feel like we've been talking a lot about how, um, other aspects of society have been kind of not seeing the virtue in these labels and identities. So I was just wanted to, was curious to see if anyone would like to say something about the benefits of how expansive and kind of this newerly, this newer developed um, language has for society. I agree with what Antonio was saying earlier and kind of to go off of what you were saying about how it's not just language. Um, labels can be really deeply tied to identity for some um, and there's a power in labels for some people and other people 
choosing not to label themselves, whether it's their gender identity, their sexual identity, um, or really any label, there's also for some a deep sense of identity within actively choosing not to label. So I think that's something to be mentioned too. Um, There can be a great sense of community within labels, but for some people, a label just maybe there's not a label that fits or not having a label is what fits and that's what feels truest to their identity. I just figured I'd mention that. I think what Antonio said before was like exactly what he was getting at and with the expansiveness of the labels is what kind of like encourages people to um, really explore their identity and find out what works for them. I feel like that's really one of the most important benefits of this expansiveness because like a lot of times in society people feel like tied down to oh this is what I have to do because I'm this but in the community it kind of like allows you the freedom to really just listen to your own self and really like explore yourself and just get to know who you are as a person and I feel like that is what either labeling or unlabeling really does for like that individual do you have anything that you was, want to that add was, that was so good that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words <laughs> um yeah I guess I'll add on to that I completely agree with what you said um and I think the expansiveness of these labels and the amount of labels that now exist I think it just creates a more inclusive space um and because gender is fluid and sexuality is fluid and I think having all these labels and having the freedom to kind of decide what my label is um or what I want to be called is very much like freeing and it allows people to really explore their authentic selves in the best way we love that (laughs) (laughs) i agree (laughs) um i think that's a really good place to kind of wrap it up kamal i think that was a good ending sentiment um we want to thank you all so much for listening to our very first episode we're really excited to continue to put out more episodes of this amazing podcast I like the singing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is so good. <laughs> yeah. And also we just wanted to thank our lovely guests for joining us and I love your wonderful insight. Um yeah, do you guys have any closing remarks you wanna add? It was a pleasure. Spot. Thank you for having us. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us. Um and yeah, stay tuned. We are unlabeled. Our podcast is unlabeled. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for future episodes of Unlabeled. So good. So good. Hey. Hey.